Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue. Hello, and welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am Meredith Bond. I am here representing those who have more experience than my co-host, who is... I'm Prue Warren, and I have much less experience. Much less experience. But today, Prue, we are going to be talking to somebody who has as much experience as I do. I think Alex Rickloff is with us. Yay! Welcome, Alex. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Alex, uh, tell us how many, how long you've been writing and how many books you've published. Uh, well, the how long have I been writing is sort of a trick question, I think. Yes, uh, <laughs> since you could hold a pen, since you learned I was going to say, how sentence. far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> so I've been writing, again, forever, probably like both of you since you could hold a pen or type on a keyboard. But I would say I started the journey to publication hmm, maybe 2003, 2004. The math is fuzzy at that point. I had small children, so those years (laughs) were sort of a blur. (laughs) Small children, they sucked the brain out of you. They did that. So, yes. So that was when I found... RWA and Washington Romance Writers of America. Writers. Yes. And, and the Washington Romance Writers. And the Washington Romance Writers. And so they were the ones who sort of set me a course, helped me figure it all out. You were one of them, Mary. Yes. <laughs> Goodness, we have known each other for that long. Yes. That's pretty incredible. Because <laughs> I she's joined... still setting courses today. She's setting my course. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, I also joined the Washington Romance Writers in 2003-2004, and and I also had young children at that time, and I used my writing as an excuse not to have to deal with them. I didn't know that would work. I missed it does. that opportunity. Uh, see what you missed, Pro? I yes, missed mm-hmm. I missed it. See, I got to put my kids into daycare and say I needed them out of the house because I was working. Uh, love it. There you go. Very good. Well, yes, uh, those meetings were a lifeline. Once a month, I got a Saturday free. It was yes. wonderful. Absolutely. And I could talk to grown I came to this. I came to this much too late. Oh my god! <laughs> you missed the opportunity. Probably. I missed it. I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> and how many books have you published, Alex? At this point. Rrr. I want to say 11 novels and three novellas. I Mm. think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. That's a good number. And that is all under your Alex Rickloff name, or that includes your pen name as well? Those include three three novels, and I believe (laughs) it's terrible. I'm blanking (laughs) out. I believe three, well, three of the novels are under the Alexa Egan pen name. Yes. This is what I've discovered, Alex, 
as I've been, I've, I've been had the opportunity to talk to people because Mary knows everybody <laughs> is that uh, authors don't know how many books they've published authors. I mean, they're like, you say, how many books are on your author shelf? And they're like, well, that's it. Depends on how you count it. I think there's never a clear number. My answer is five. The answer is five because that's it. You 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 score high on the cool meter when you're like, well, so you're good. You're good. You're oh, okay. good. now verified. <laughs> well, when you've been doing it for as long as we have, then it's hard to to keep track. Yes. Alex, one of the things that Mary said when she suggested we have you on is that one of the things that she's admired about you, and now I do too, is that you are traditionally published, but you don't fit into the normal slots. You have somehow managed to exceed the formula that publishers are now, that that publishers want to fill. You write outside of typical subgenres. Would you say that's true? I would say my career started that way. So mm-hmm. I would say my romance career sort of fell out of typical subgenres because I was writing I was writing Regency set paranormals. Mm-hmm. Which are well, wonderful. Mary, Mary's got some of those, but Mary, you're tra- you're indie published. Yeah, because when I tried to traditionally publish my Regency set paranormal, my publisher said I don't know what shelf to put that on. And so I'm not going to buy it. And that, but that was back in 2005. So you were probably a few years ahead of the curve. Yeah, exactly. My first book came out in 2008. And was it? Okay. It was published with Kensington, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. It was part of their debut author program. Um, which I'm not sure is still a thing, but yes, at the time that was. <laughs> I can guarantee you it's not a thing. I mean, the idea of being traditionally published now dwarfs, I'm just astonished by it. And I I went and looked at your author page on Amazon and you have more than one publisher. There have been multiple times when a publisher has said, yes, this is the book I want. I'm buying this book. And I just want to know, how are you doing it? The one I'm reading now is the one set in World War II. It's called The Way to London. Is that what it's called? Because yes. sucked into the story. I can't remember the title. The Way to London, which is immediately gripping and immediately I'm I'm sucked in. How did you get into a world where publishers want very specific things? How did you manage to bring something new and different and so fresh? How'd you do that? <laughs> I wish I could take all the credit. I think I've had an amazing champion in my agent, and I've had her from the very beginning. She, again, this was back when RWA would twice a year send out an agent guide that had all the all the agents listed. And I spent my time sending out queries uh, to every single agent on the list, just started in the A's and worked my way to anybody who was repping what I was writing and, and actually uh, finally found Kevin Lyon who liked, happened to like what I was writing, turned out to be a golden heart finalist. So that helped, but she has been, and I've been with her ever since. So that was, I mean, I've probably been with her since I mean, what, 2000 and 
six to th- I mean, it's been a, we've been together a long time, followed her to her own agency and she has been a champion since, since day one. So she, I would, I would give a lot of the credit to her <laughs> for knowing, knowing how to thread that, that path. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that needle has closed up a lot. That's mm-hmm. not a needle that, that I think most beginning authors are able to thread anymore. I don't, I don't ever anticipate a career that includes anything other than indie because the publishing world doesn't want me. The publishing world doesn't want most new authors. The publishing world wants only existing authors and in very specific tropes. So that I'm reading this gorgeous, luscious World War II historical, I'm I'm in awe of what you've done. Well, thank you. I appreciate the kind, kind words. No, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But no, she was, uh, we were able to, to, I guess at the time, Paranormal had, was pretty big. I mean, those were sort of the mid 2000s when Paranormal was everywhere. And so we were able to capitalize on that. But then when the bottom fell out of my career, to a certain extent, it was, it, you know, I was able to sort of reboot and rebrand and do something that I'd always wanted to do, which was the, the historical fiction. And so. Tell me, uh, tell me more about the bottom falling out. <laughs> because your story <laughs> from, from way over here, your story looks like, oh, my God, this is an incredible career where you step from genre to genre very gracefully and very easily. So to hear that there were bumps on the path makes me feel better. Isn't that awful? It's mean of me. Tell me about that. What happened? Well, I mean, uh, obviously you said it yourself. You looked on my Amazon page and saw that I'd been with a few different publishing houses. Um, and that was part of the process. You know, when one door closed, say Kensington decided they didn't want the next one in a series, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to find a different publishing house that was willing to take another chance. So there were quite a few times when I was, you know, white knuckling waiting to hear from, from publishers or editors, but that, then that yes, unfortunately, yes. Then the, you know, the paranormal, I, I'm a, I, as I said, I wrote paranormal Regency set paranormals. And again, sort of as Mary talked about the publisher didn't know where to, to shelve them. And I think that was part of the problem. They loved them, but then they weren't quite sure what to do with them. Um, I them. think, and in, mm-hmm. and for readers as as well. I think readers. Um, I had readers there that where they weren't Regency enough. They weren't all ball gowns and you know your typical Regency. And then they, but they also weren't paranormal enough for the for readers who were interested in paranormal. So they sort of fell into this weird you know, in between Mm -hmm. um, where nobody quite knew what to make of them. So I, you know, I had a wonderful run. I can't, can't look back with any regrets because I, you know, I got to write some great books, but at that point, you know, it was sort of, I knew it was the end of the line. And then at that point I, you know, was sitting around kind of like, okay, now what do I do? And that was when after conversations with my agent and we talked about, you know, next steps at that point, that was when I thought, okay, well, they like what I write. They like my writing. It, they just didn't know what to do with me. So we'll try something 
we'll try something different and something I'd wanted to do for quite a while. And that was when I, I moved over and, and tried the straight historical fiction novel with Secrets of Nanreath Hall, which was the first one. And then, and now you're coming out with what looks like, I can't wait for the <laughs> women in blue, the girl, what's the title of it? The girls in Navy blue, the girls in Navy. Tell, tell us about that. That one looks so much fun. So good. Well, thank tell you. Us. I hope so. Um, it is uh it's a bit of a departure for me. The first two books were set during World War II and in England. So this is a little bit of a departure. This is set during World War I and takes place in Norfolk, Virginia, a bit closer to home. But it is about uh, the U.S. Navy's Yeomanettes, who were basically the first class of women who were able to enlist in the military as anything other than nurse. So in 1918, as the U.S. entered the war, the Navy realized that they had did not have enough manpower. They needed all the men at sea. What to do? Well, we have all these women who are already sort of working for the government, but what? Can, how can we utilize them, make them more efficient? Well, we can enlist them in the Navy. And that way we can sort of put them where we need them. We can have them do what we need them to do. It made it so they found a loophole that said that only, you know, any able-bodied person Ah. who basically do the work could Ah. enlist. And so they, they took, they allowed women to enlist. They opened it up to women. And there's a bit of a mystery in this book as well. There is. So it's a dual narrative. It takes place in 1918. And then the other timeline is 1968. So a young woman inherits her great aunt's beach house in Norfolk or outside of Norfolk and goes down there and she doesn't know anything about her aunt's life or the Yomanettes. So she's sort of learning about her aunt and the mystery of her aunt as she is sort of recovering from her own personal tragedy. So you don't shy away from the tough subjects. I mean, (laughs) you must, you must spend so much time down the research rabbit hole. I do, but I love it. That's clearly, (laughs) clearly, clearly I'm reading the way to London and it's like being in that time. Your, your understanding of a time period is kind of breathtaking. It's very, it's really, it's really, it's really involving. Thank you. Alex, you are on the chopping block, in my opinion, as a traditionally published author. So it's, it's sort of it's sort of the brass ring that I don't think I'll, I'm ever going to grab. How do you feel about the marketing that your publishing company does to represent your book? Well, I can let you know once we get deeper into <laughs> uh, <laughs> that point. In the process, we haven't quite uh, got there with the girls in navy blue. How about how about new others? Obviously, you know, like everyone, marketing is has become just as much a responsibility of the author as mm-hmm. it is a publisher. I have I know someone who, and I'm very roughly paraphrasing her words, who said being a writer is all about. The, solitary is is sitting in your room by yourself typing on a computer being an author is all about the showmanship so oh, yeah. so it's it's putting yourself out there it's doing the work 
to get your books in front of the right people. So it's all it's just as much my responsibility to to make people want to read my books as it is theirs. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do that more. I am a definitely an introvert. So I have to push myself to learn to be the showman that I think the book deserves. So is, is this a new publisher who that's publishing the girls in Navy blue? It is not. Um, it's the, the girls same. In Navy blue, same publisher. Um, it's Harper Collins. William Morrow is doing, and they did the first two historical fiction books. So they've continued on with this one. Um, so what did they do for the first two books that you published with them? Oh my goodness. That was six years ago. Uh <laughs> Let me think. I mean, obviously, they put together a great list of influencers, book clubs, and places where they sent arcs and things like that. They arranged giveaways. I just want to define for for listeners: arc is an advanced reader copy, which is which is given out to people who might write reviews before the book is published. Right. Thank you. They arranged uh, interviews and Q and A's, things like that, that were sort of blog posts, sort of things like that. But they're not doing that for this new book. Well, I haven't gotten, like I said, I haven't had my sit down with the marketing department yet. Um, We're still kind of early in the process. The book doesn't come out until November. So we're still, we're just now sort of getting to that point, but I'm taking a lot more ownership this time around. So I'm putting together sort of the list of people that I know I want them to send things to, or that I want to reach out to. I'm working to bring my books to more book clubs. So in that regard, I put together book club guides for both the first two books that I've posted on my website. They're PDF guides that they can download. Book clubs can download with author's notes and Q and A's and cocktail recipes and the whole thing. So I plan on doing that again for, for this book, as well as doing some things, novel network. I've have some friends who have signed up with them. It's a group or it's a site that basically pairs book clubs and authors so that, um, and they sort of handle the logistics of it, but basically that way that you can do sort of pop-ins to book clubs via Zoom or however, you know, Skype or something like that. That's Um, a neat idea. Yeah. Just to bring, bring more readers to your books. So I'm about libraries. Is there any library outreach, your library outreach or the publisher's library outreach? I'm, I don't know. I don't know Uh the answer to that question. Uh And do you, do you maintain, I'm just thinking in the indie world, we live and die on our newsletter subscribers. Do you have a newsletter? Do you know who your readers, do you ever talk to your readers? I do have a newsletter. I do have, you know, a subscribe button on my list. Unfortunately, there was some weird thing with MailChimp that lost me quite a few subscribers. And I'm not sure. For some reason, there was too much of a lag time between newsletters. And so I had to have everyone re-sign up. I didn't quite understand the whole logistics, but so I did lose subscribers there, but I'm trying to build that readership back up. Um, I totally want to hug you. I mean, that is... (laughs) That's an indie author's nightmare, you sweetie. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. No, I. 
Well, right. I, I mean, to- partly, I suppose it's my fault in that I wasn't pushing the newsletter. My newsletters tend to be kind of, the, I, I don't send chatty newsletters out. I don't do sort of a once a month, oh, here's, you know, pictures of my cats and things like that. I tend to wait and I send out newsletters when I have actual news, which may not be the best way to use a newsletter. I was going to say, <laughs> darling, oh my God, we're so much more mercenary than that now. Uh, so yes, and that res- that's another thing I need to learn how to do is use my newsletter to better. So like I said, I'm, I'm working through the whole, the whole marketing thing. Um, that's a big that's thing. Been my weakest link to this point. Let me ask you my last admiring question. Have you ever walked into a bookstore or a Walmart or an airport gift shop and seen your own book for sale? Please tell me. Yes, you have. have. Oh, that is so exciting. (laughs) I just can't even imagine. I just can't even imagine. It's a wonderful feeling. I hope you get to feel it because it's a wonderful feeling. Oh, I'll never. I'll never. I'm Indy. Um, that's never going to happen to me. What you've done is so much more than I can accomplish. I just think that I, I saw my book on a rack somewhere. I would sit in the corner and just wait to see if anybody bought it, right? Like a nut. They'd be like, she's back again. For God's sake, someone buy the book so she'll go away. <laughs> <laughs> and you just hand it to some passing person. Here you go. Here, take it. <laughs> you know you want this book. I know. I'll buy it and I'll just give it to you. Um, based on the quality of your research, which, as I said, I mean, I'm not even a third of the way through this book and already I'm like, I'm there you, there's no way you're a pantser. You have to be a plotter. You're a plot. You're, you're a pantser. I, I generally lean more toward pants than plot. I have to admit, but I'm sort of in, I sort of straddle the line. So I kind of have a very vague idea when I start, but it doesn't necessarily mean that by the end, that vague idea is the same vague idea I started. <laughs> the end of the product it might, might look very different from my beginning. So that's amazing. Initial. That's amazing because like I said, perhaps, perhaps your book falls apart in the final third. I just don't, <laughs> I don't think it's going to well, go. You can email and let me know. Prue. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> sure. sure. I'll send you some useful criticism. That'd be great. No, but I, like I've read the first third and it is, it's like, it's so neatly stacked. Your logic is so clear. It's so easy to slide into the story and get lost in it. I'm astonished that you're, I'm sto- I'm astonished. I'm very impressed. Well, well, thank you. I'm glad it it turns out so seamless because the process is is fraught. Let me say, is that right? Do you go through lots of rewrites before you think you're done? Oh, very much. Yes. Oh, there are there are pages and pages and pages that you that end up on the the virtual floor. You know, I mean, just you know what those pages are good for. You know what those pages are good for. Say it, Meredith. Sending out to in your newsletter. <laughs> newsletter. Newsletter. <laughs> newsletter. <laughs> You're already doing it. Send it out. People it's already love written. It. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> don't throw anything away. <laughs> oh, I don't throw it away, but I've never I've never shown it to anyone I had or know that would be. Do you shift scenes around so that you you'll write something later and then and then insert it earlier or whatever so that to keep the narrative uh, flow. 
I do sometimes. Um, that's part of the whole pants process because I tend to write things and then I say, oh, well, that, you know, that doesn't fit there, but I don't want to get rid of it. So yes, I have a whole file of things I've cut and it might be as little as one sentence um, <laughs> or a description or, you know, one little line of dialogue, but I keep it all um, or it could be a whole chapter. But yes, it's all kept for, and, and it's amazing how often I go, oh yeah, that would be perfect right here. Ah, find it. Smart. I'm, I'm astonished at the thought of doing a dual timeline that is not plotted beforehand. I'm, I can't wait to read this book. The Girls in Navy Blue coming out in November by Alex Rickloff. Listener, you need it too. <laughs> yeah, we do like to talk about process. Because I find it so interesting, and I think Prue does as well. I do. So, can you tell us what your what your writing process is? Oh, I mean, uh, how much research do you do before you start I to tell. write? I do. Yes, I do a lot of upfront reading. Luckily, with the first two books. I had a general sense of the time period. I'd been a huge World War II buff, um, historical buff for years, since back since college. So I had, I'd already read loads of memoirs and uh, histories, sort of social histories, military histories. So I had enough of a background that I sort of knew the, the bones of what I was writing about. But it was so. But it was all the the the, the details. Plus, your details. Your details are astonishing. I'm sorry to keep harping on it, but the way London begins in Singapore, just before the war comes to Singapore, and you've got the names of the clubs that the elegant people would go to, and what cocktails they were drinking, and it, the cars they were driving, and it's it's luscious. It's never hammered, but it it just creates this patina. I, you feel like you're there. Well, thank you. Yes, unfortunately, Singapore was one place I was not able to visit in person <laughs> before I wrote the book. But I had a fabulous time finding all kinds of old maps and travel guides from the time period and memoirs from people, both British and um, Singaporean, who sort of lived through that whole era that was just sort of pre-war and right at the war. So that was, that helped a lot with, with sort of placing my people where they were supposed at, to be. <laughs> at what point, at what point do you say, all right, chapter one? How um, do you, pretty early on, which is probably the wrong thing to do because I tend to go back and go, oh, that wasn't where I needed to start after all. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, at a certain point, yes, I'm itching to write the book. I'm itching to get into the story and and figure out the characters. So I probably start far too early than I should. I should probably, you know, take a lot more time to figure out where I'm going. Again, that falls into the whole pantser thing. I'm so excited yeah, that, about starting the book. Like, I don't. I think it's important that you don't say I probably shouldn't start here because clearly the results speak for themselves. You should start exactly where you start. Don't. Oh, don't but you don't know what I, where I started first. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm reading the end result. And I don't know. <laughs> start where you want. So you'll start writing and then you'll just delete the first couple of chapters. That or I will. Yeah. I, or yeah, exactly. Or I'll figure out a lot of times the first draft 
might just be a lot of info dump as, as I'm trying to figure out who the characters are. You know, there may be way too much backstory or way too much exposition just because I'm kind of in my brain is sort of sorting out who these people are and what's going on. So then, yes, in later drafts, I tend to go back and say, okay, well, you know, obviously this this didn't work or, you know, I can't sit here and describe this character for four pages. I have to cut all that out and figure out what's, you know, what's important, what what can I seed in later. But yeah, so I generally jump in and then as I'm writing, I will I will get the story moving and then I I tend to go back, okay, you know, what do I need to know as I'm writing? Because there are a lot of times again, I don't know where I'm going. So I come up against something, oh, I don't know about, you know, what ships were like in 1940, you know, and how the cabins were laid out and who was where and how this all looked. So I may have to pause or skip past that and keep going if I'm on a roll and then, you know, make a notation. Okay, you got to go back and do this research so that you can fill it in in a later time. So Alex, after you write your book, uh, it goes off to your editor and they do the editing and the proofreading? They do. But uh, actually, usually before, so I will finish the book. It's as, it's, as, it's as good as I can make it at that point. And then I actually have two fantastic cr- critique partners ah, um, who give me and have been, they have been with me before I, since pre-published days, I've, I've, they, we've been friends for that long and they read it over the whole thing, start to finish and then offer any feedback, you know, where does it need building up? Does everything make sense? Is there, you know, the continuity work, the flow work, the pacing work. Um, so they give it a pretty thorough going over and then give their, their opinions, their Uh, suggestions back. I go through it a second time. And then at that point, yes. Does it it go straight to your editor or does it go to your agent first? I've done it both, both ways over the years. For the last few though, I have sent it to my agent for her read over. She doesn't typically come back with, she doesn't typically um, come back with a lot of structural editing. She may come back with some minor things that she's noticed, but it's generally just a, yeah, I think this works and I think we're ready to go is generally what I get back from her. And then, yes. And then I will send it on to my editor for her. So your, your process, your process as a traditionally published author does not sound significantly different from the indie author. You're, you have to go through all the same steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I keep I keep thinking of 15 more questions I want to ask you, but I'm not going to I'm not going to belabor the point. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith, what if I cut you out? I put that start? on loop so that I can just hear that every so often. <laughs> no problem. I'll send you a, 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 an MP3 so you can just make that your ringtone on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> You're awesome. awesome. I, I love it. Rickwell, you're awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? You're standing in the supermarket line and all of a sudden, Alex Rickloff, you're awesome. You're awesome. (laughs) Believe me, there are days I could use that positive affirmation just going (laughs) over and over and over in my head. Call me darling. We'll talk. I can can work. Did I cut you off on any questions, Mary? I don't think so. I think think we're good. 
Alex, you have had such a wonderful career and we love you. We love your books, obviously. You're awesome. You. <laughs> I can't awesome. wait until the girls in Navy Blue come out because I love a little mystery with my historical fiction. <laughs> Good. That's a one click. I'm into Meredith. Next week, we're going to talk to a friend of yours who's a sensitivity reader. Yes. What's her name? Natasha Lane. She is an amazing person. She's really interesting. I have not actually had a lot of one-on-one with her, but but I'm really interested to in in speaking with her and getting to know her better. I've only known her on online through social media and and so on. And so this is going to be a great opportunity to learn more about what she does as a sensitivity reader. We also have two other cool things that are coming up. Alex, I'm starting to do a little housekeeping on you, making you sit there. We have Dave Tassin from Kindlepreneur is going to come on the podcast. Yay! To, te- to tell us about their new Attica system, which I'm really looking forward to. How do you categorize your books? Even traditional authors. You could listen. You could listen, Alex. <laughs> the other cool thing is our recent podcast guest, Kathy Seidel, Kathleen Gillis Seidel, who has a PhD in literature. Oh, my God has volunteered to read one of my books and one of Mary's books. And she's going to give us notes on our use of imagery and theme. Ah, that's pretty exciting. So listener, if you want to, if you want to play along, I'm doing uh, Ellen and the would-be gigolo and Mary, you're doing token of love. Yes. So buy those books and you can listen along. It should be in the next couple of weeks that this gets done. Alex, what will you get you in on this? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love Kathy Seidel. She's fabulous. She's awesome. She really is. She's absolutely awesome. She is the highlight of the Washington Romance Writers Retreat. And she is was such a fond of wisdom when she came on the podcast. And I I mean, hell, I got two blog posts out of what she said. <laughs> <laughs> So there's a lot of good stuff coming up. It's not, we have not reached our peak with Alex Rickloff. It may look that way, but there's, but there's more coming. Come back, come back and listen to us. Alex, thank you so much for and endlessly taking my questions. Thank you. You are very welcome. And anytime. And if you have any more, feel free to shoot me an email. Okay. You know where I'll to find me. make sure that our readers know where they can find you. Of course, all of Alex's books are on Amazon. But if you need to find out where they are besides on Amazon, go to alexrickloff.com, yes? Correct. Yes. A-L-I-X. Yes. And Rickloff is just the way you think of it, listener. R-I-C-K-L-O-F-F. And we will put a link in our show notes, won't we, Prue? Yes, we will. We will indeed, because I'm getting very good at that sort of thing. Yes, you are. Thank you, Alex. You're awesome. You're awesome. I'll say it again. <laughs> you are very welcome. Anytime. This was fun. I had a great time. Thank you. Mary, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Bru. Bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at the Writer's Block partypodcast.com one word that's where you can find our archive of past podcasts 
and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.